My name is Dominique Drew, and this is The Art of Attraction, the premier podcast to elevate your relationships, your life, and yourself. I'm your host, Dominique Drew, an intuitive, a spiritual guide, and a seasoned expert in men's relationship coaching. I've used the methods in this podcast to completely transform my own life and relationships, and now, high performers in every industry hire me to help them do the same. Here, you will learn how to solve the issues in your inner world which keep you from real fulfillment, deep intimacy, freedom, and authenticity. Welcome to the next stage of your evolution. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to The Art of Attraction with Domini Drew. I am your host, Domini Drew. Thank you so much for joining me for this amazing podcast episode. I am coming to you live on Facebook Live uh, in the land of the Book of Face. And I'm coming to you on uh, in podcast format in Spotify, um, uh, iTunes, Google Play, wherever it is that you are downloading, wherever you are joining me from, please, um, by all means, welcome. So glad to have you here. I have a great show lined up for you today. Uh, as I mentioned, my name is Domini Drew, and today I want to talk to you about uh, the personality patterns, the way that we um, structure our systems, not just um, uh, our natural gifts, what we're um, truly gifted with, what, um, what, we're, what we naturally excel at when we don't try, right? I'll call that a, call that a core quality but also the way we distort those core qualities into defenses and we keep ourselves from getting the things that we want. Yeah. So this show is really about, um, you know, for a long time it has centered around single men and um, how to attract a life partner, right? And um, and that is still a lot of, in a lot of ways, the angles that I, um, the angle that I take in this work. But if you're a fan of this show or you've listened to a lot of episodes, you'll know that the show isn't really about dating. It's not really about men. It's not really about relationships. It's about you. It's about how you work and how you keep yourself from working at your best. Okay? Uh, my name is Dominique Drew. I've studied this work for about 15 years and I'm incredibly good at it. And what I do, my gift, my area of expertise is that I. Um, I help people see how they're holding themselves back from the things that they want, okay? So you'll notice there, I don't um, tell you what you should want. I don't tell you who you should be or what you should do with your life. I just want to give you the option, okay? So if you're desperately wanting a career and you can't seem to manifest, you can't seem to make it happen, you're getting no's everywhere in your life, there's a reason for that. There's something in your system that is blocking you from what you want, some belief that you're carrying about why you can't have it or who you have to be or what you have to do. And as long as you carry those things, you're unable to get what you want, period. That's just how the world works, okay? So um, what I do is I show you how you're self-sabotaging, okay? I show you what it is that you're doing that's sabotaging your desires. It's blocking you from what you want. And once you know that, then you, you can fix it on your own, right? I had a client come to me recently and he said, man, I've just never had success with women. I don't know why I, you know, I, I approach and I either get rejected or they're not interested or I can tell they're not really into it. And 
you know, I feel really dis- undesirable. What is, you know, what is the problem? I don't, and he said, this has been going on for decades. Okay. Because unless you really look deeply into this, this issue uh, underneath the surface, right? That's why I work in the area of uh, subconscious self-sabotage is that um, it doesn't change on its own, right? It doesn't, this won't fix itself. This isn't something you'll grow out of or you can pray away or, um, you know, if you just keep going long enough and cross your fingers that it'll change on its own. The fact of the matter is if you've been struggling for as many years as you've been struggling, then, you know, you're a smart person, right? If you could figure this out on your own, you would have done so by now. So there's something going on under the surface. And by under the surface, I mean things that you, um, that you by definition can't see, right? By, that by definition are beyond your awareness. They're, they're not conscious. And you are only aware of the things that are conscious, okay? That's the definition of, of conscious and subconscious, right? So, um, so I work with that, that man. And in one session, he spoke with me about... Um, for maybe we talked for about 30, 35 minutes or so in one of our coaching calls, because he's in my coaching program. And he, um, uh, and it turned out he had an underlying belief that he was not good enough, okay? That, that nobody would want him. And so as a result, when he was approaching women, he was exuding this certain belief because of rejections he's had in the past. He's decided, he took those personally, and he decided, okay, I'm not good enough. Nobody wants me. So then he approaches a woman, you know, wearing this, this aura, this cloud of I'm not good enough. And that's what they see. If you decide you're not good enough, that's what people get from being around you. They go, oh, that person, he's, you know, that may not be a conscious thought, but it's certainly uh, an energetic response. Okay. So this is why this is one way, sort of a, a more surface level, more psychological way in which we create our, our own reality. Okay. Make no mistake, you create your own reality. Okay, we all look around the world and we think we're seeing the same world everybody else is seeing and not one of us is. Let me say that again. Most of us, we look around the world and we think we're seeing the same world that everyone else is seeing and we're wrong. Not one of us is. I experience a different world. That can really be on a pretty literal level, actually. Um. And so, you know, and, and we can come back to that. And, and sometimes I shift levels in this um, podcast. Sometimes I'm talking about the mental level and thought structures and the psychology and more mentally, more things that you can grasp mentally. And sometimes we dive down real fucking deep and we go down into the energetics and what, you know, on, a, on more of a soul level, how do these things work? How do you block yourself? Where's the lesson? What's the point of the whole thing, Right. And so, um, and so this is, this is my passion, right? This is my work. Um, I just started creating actually, so that you guys know on Facebook Live, on Insight Timer, which is a meditation app. I've just started uploading meditations that allow you to practice this kind of thing and, um, and, and really, you know, re- repeat it. This, same as any other skill, is really, um, is really a, a, a skill, Right. Same thing with uh, energy work or psychic skills or things like that. People tend to think, oh, you have to be a medium or you have to be born with it. I've heard mediums say you have to be born with it. That is inaccurate. Okay, that's not true. It's a skill, right? Reading energy, feeling energy, healing on an energetic level. These are all things that can be learned. Okay, there are schools where you can learn them. Please go to a good one. 
actually, if you're thinking about it, just send me an email and or send me a note and uh, ask me because some you don't want to learn that from crazy people. And it's a realm that attracts a lot of crazy people. So um, let's go ahead and dive in. So today I really want to talk about um, the five personality patterns. So Last week, um, I, I took sort of more of a LeVar Burton approach and I started reading, okay? And I just read from this book that I had just found called The Five Personality Patterns and it writes out exactly what I teach. I mean, I, I truly, had I written a book, it's, I think it would have been exactly like this one. Um, and that's great because more people need to teach this kind of work. It's real, right? It's tangible. The work that I teach changes your life, okay? If you'll allow it to, Right? Not to say that I couldn't have a session with somebody and it wouldn't change their life, but you have to put effort in. And by the time you're sitting down with me and having a session, you're usually, um, you know, you're, you're, um, you want to change, right? You're already set up for it. You, you want the success, right? So, so I, I pulled out this book last week and we started talking about, um, the witness, how to develop the witness. The inner witness is something that's required for change, okay? You need to observe yourself in order to really change. Now, I'm not saying that you can't hire a coach who talks a great game and, and has a great game face and, um, you know, speaks in elevated tones and is really encouraging and maybe really knows some stuff. That doesn't mean you're going to change or get, what, get your problem fixed, right? The work happens inside. People who talk a good game can't necessarily access the levels that, uh, on which your problem exists. So if you want to do that, you need to go down and down into yourself and you need to go deep. So that's what my training is, is I put you in touch with the part of yourself where you're self-sabotaging and I allow you to release it. Okay. I have no agenda for you to do this. I don't, there are no shoulds in my work. There's nothing that you ought to do that you're not doing. There's nothing wrong with you. You're not broken. You're on a journey. This is if you want that journey to be easier, happier, more joyful, more fulfilling, more passionate. I have people come to me because they want to be more successful. I have people come to me because they are uh, wrapped in anxiety and they can't get out. I have people come to me who, um, have a gift they want to share with the world, something they're passionate about in their life, and they can't do it, right? They're, they, they get anxious or they can't perform. I have people come to me because they want to have better sex. I have people come to me because, um, you know, they're, they're lonely or they're doing all the right things and they can't figure out what the problem is, right? So this is incredibly... Um, diverse work because really, what do all those issues have in common? Why is this work not really about men and dating? Because you don't have problems with dating, sweetness. You have life problems that are showing up in your dating life, right? All of the things I just mentioned, in fact, every problem you could possibly bring me comes down to how you're sabotaging yourself inside, right? Because the fact of the matter is every single thing that you want is available in the world. It's all physically possible. So if you, ha- if you don't have it yet, then there's something that's stopping it from coming. And that's where I come in, is I show you where you're blocking yourself from what you want. Okay? So this is incredibly powerful and transformative work. And the work that I teach is, uh, is permanent. 
right? The, the, the solutions are permanent because it's an awareness type of thing. You can't become unaware of something, right? It's not learning. It's not information. You're already very smart. If that could fix it, you know, you would have done that by now. So this is really, you know, and this is what we're here as humans to do, right? This is the path. So last week we talked about the inner critic and, um, and how that sabotages ourselves. I highly recommend checking out that, um, that um, episode, if you are inclined to. So today I want to look at an overview of the survival patterns. And so what I want to do with that is I'm in this, I'm in this book here, The Five Personality Patterns. It's by Stephen Kessler. Okay. K-E-S-S-L-E-R. And as I said, I've studied with this work for about 15 years. And um uh, and this is the the structure that I learned actually in two different schools. One school I went to for four years, actually both schools I went to for four years. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I ended up learning this exact s- structure. So he studied the same people that I studied essentially. Okay. And so these are the five survival patterns. And so survival patterns are, um, Actually, here, I'll just, I'll just go ahead and dive in and we'll, we'll use his words. Okay. Each survival pattern grows out of a strategy that a child employs to buffer itself from the sense of overwhelm it feels when its needs are not being met. With repeated use, the survival strategy gets conditioned into the, bo- into the child's body and becomes a survival pattern. What defines a survival pattern is the particular strategy it uses to manage the sense of overwhelm, not the age when the pattern first appears or the wounding that happened at that time. Although all five patterns perform the same function, they buffer the child from directly experiencing the feelings of overwhelm. They employ five Oh, excuse me. Although all five patterns perform the same function, they buffer the child from directly experiencing the feelings of overwhelm, they employ five different methods to accomplish this. Okay. So essentially what he's saying is that there's a a kind of a trauma that occurs at a young age. Okay. Now that can be a trauma, like you might think of the word trauma, like a terrible car crash or a parent dying or something like that. But it also could be something that, um, uh, that you don't even remember. Okay. Oftentimes people I work with don't even remember their, their childhood traumas. In fact, they go, oh no, I had a wonderful childhood. Consider this. Your trauma is not trauma, quote unquote, like you would think of as your adult mind, okay? A trauma or a childhood wounding occurs when the child sees sees its life as threatened, okay? And so if you think about it, that's pretty easy to do for a child, right? Here he talks about a sense of overwhelm, which is like discomfort, right? So a baby is... um is hungry and and it cries. And if it's allowed to cry, then it will be able to release that pent up energy of and frustration and it will stay, it keeps its its system in balance, much like a traumatized bunny will freeze and then shake until the, the shock is out of its system. It'll go into shock and then shake until the trauma is released and then move on with its life. That bunny does not carry that trauma. We carry the trauma because we don't handle it properly, right? <laughs> For all of the, oh, humans are so much better um, and they, you know, we're capable of so much more and we know we exist and shit like that. Animals' system is always in balance, okay? They automatically, because it's just pure being. So they are, 
they are being that, right? They're just, they're just being as they are. We're like, oh man, I really should be different. What? Based on what? That's, that's not even logical. If you should be different, you would be different, right? So there's that lack of trust in the system. So we're far more complex beings and far more fucked up, perfectly honest. So these, so what he's talking about with these survival strategies are, um, or when a child gets gets overwhelmed. So let's say, um, you know, you, they're they're hungry and they want to do something. You know, the the child needs food, but you can't get they can't get food. Right? It's not like you're a bad parent. Maybe you're at a doctor's appointment. And you don't you know you can't breastfeed somewhere, or you can't you know you don't have the bottle with you. You know whatever. But the the child then can't get its pro it's it's, it's um it can't regulate itself. It's not getting its needs met, and so you know. Um, and so it goes into these defensive to, to protect itself from feeling that kind of, of overwhelm of not having its needs met. Okay. So, yeah, you're saying that childhood environments exist on a, on a spectrum ranging from nearly ideal to unspeakably horrible, right? And so the patterning can be, can, um, can vary as far as uh, in intensity. But your defenses, your defenses will come up when you feel overwhelmed. So if you're, you know, you don't, you don't want to go to work today, right? Or let's say you're at work and you, you know, your boss comes and says something that you think is stupid and you get, you know, really angry and then you get resentful and you just like sit on it. That shit will make you very unhappy, by the way. All right. Clearing these defenses doesn't just make you happier. It makes you healthier, Health risks, health concerns are always based on um, what's going on in your energy because the physical follows the energetic, okay? Um, here's an easier way of thinking about that. Forget about energy, just look at uh, emotion. Happier people are healthier, right? They're lower stress. Um, actually, turns out, I don't know if you guys have heard this, I found a wonderful TED Talk on this, on the reality of stress. Turns out that stress isn't what hurts you. It's the belief that stress hurts you. So they did this fascinating, I'm just going to pause for just a second and use this because this is so fucking good. Um, they did this incredible um, study, maybe at Harvard or something like that, where they took a few groups of people and measured their stress level. It was a longitudinal study. So it went over a long period of time and they divided them into groups. And one group was... Um, uh, or, or so they measured their stress, right? So high level stress, low level stress, um, medium, whatever. And then they looked at how long they lived, right? So it turns out that, oh, sorry, they asked whether or not they were stressed um, and then whether or not they believed stress was good for you, okay? So it turns out the people with lower stress lived longer than the people with higher stress. That's what you'd think, right? Except, get this, except for the people who thought stress was good for you. People who believed that stress was good for you lived longer than people without stress. So it's not about whether or not you're stressed out. It's, not, it's, it's how you perceive. It's not what's happening to you in life. It's how you perceive what's happening. The fact of the matter is if you're life is falling apart and you look around and you're like, this is great. There was so much that needed to get fixed in my life anyway. I can't wait to see what's going to happen next. You will come through that. It's like a buffer, like an emotional um, safety zone. 
that allows you that that buffers you from the, the the pain. So like there's no there's this doesn't need to create things that people see as painful don't need to be painful. There are people who orgasm during childbirth. Fucking anything is possible. And we're talking about emotions of all the things you can change your emotional state in a snap if you want to. I've actually, I, I can now do that. Um, if I'm just feeling unhappy, I can just decide to be happy and I can feel happy. Like it's it's crazy, but I practice that skill, right? I just open up the space and I allow myself to, to, to do it, right? There's also a long period of time where I couldn't do that. So it's not like you should be able to do that, but try it because you can, okay? So it's what you believe to be true that is the most powerful thing on the planet, truly. That is what literally creates your reality. So someone can be, um, you know, in a, I don't know, let me think of an example. Somebody can, you know, talk about, you know, walking up a mountain. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to climb this mountain. It's going to be so great. And someone can be like, they can be doing that because it's like a, it's like a should or they have to prove something and they don't really want to do it. And that can be a huge ordeal and so much work and it's terrible. And oh my gosh, somebody else could be like, that sounds like so much fun. And every single aspect can be joyful and, and light. Okay. It's an amazing example, but it's an okay one. Um, so, so, so think about that. You are in control of your emotional state. When you say things like, I'm sad, you're not sad, angel. You're a being of divine light and love, and you're currently experiencing sadness. Can you see how those are different things? When you say, I am sad, you're making a statement about yourself. I am this. No, you're not. You just feel sadness. That's okay. And when you phrase it in that way, not only are you being more accurate, but you're creating some distance between you and the sadness, right? Between you, the real you, and the sadness. You're just feeling sad. I'm lonely. I feel loneliness. Big difference, actually. Try both in your system and see what you think. Because that's, that's more accurate. I'm just feeling a thing. I'm having a feeling. Well, that sounds far less overwhelming than like, oh, I'm lonely, which kind of like indicates that that's who you are. And so when you repeat that all the time, whether consciously or not, that's my realm, but also whether, you know, inwardly or not, in your head to yourself or outwardly, you're making that happen. You see what I mean? So, um, so, so don't make yourself into especially the things that you don't want, right? Um, I feel I just I was just having this little practice thing because I was you know uh, I was doing a puzzle right and I was um, thinking man man can life be effortless right and so I thought okay I'm just gonna I'm gonna every time I get what I want I'm just gonna say oh my god life is effortless and so I was looking for like the edge pieces right so I just opened up this big puzzle and it's huge and I'm looking for edge pieces every time I found a edge piece. I went, oh my God, life is effortless. <laughs> and sure enough, they start coming faster and faster and faster. And I've got this big puzzle. There's only so many edge pieces. And even though I kept finding them and taking, you know, there were fewer and fewer to go, I kept finding them just as quickly. So there was a sort of experience of, oh man, life is effortless. Life is effortless. You know, and I just kept repeating it over and over. And like, that's what I, I decide to be so. And so that's just sort of like a little silly mental game, but the, the, the premise is, is accurate, okay? So you decide who it is that you want to be. Don't, don't put the, the blame for who you are onto the world around you because 
it's not, it's nothing to do with that. So the first survival pattern that starts at the, at the youngest age is the leaving pattern. Okay. In my training, this was called schizoid characterology. And uh, it, it happens very, very early um, at birth or before, sometimes during pregnancy, um, when you have a really difficult pregnancy um, or there's a lot of stress or there's fear in the, in the mother's system that gets, you know, obviously the child is totally enmeshed at that point. So here in the leaving pattern, the wounding happened very early, Stephen says. Most likely during pregnancy when the baby's incoming spirit did not experience the safety that it needed to complete its transformation into the physical world. So this wounding is about not feeling safe. During this time, the developmental task, um, in other words, what the, what the spirit or what the, the human needed to accomplish at that age, is embodiment. The process by which the spirit reorients itself from the spirit world to the physical world and bonds with the physical world and the physical body. So people who have a hard time really existing deeply in their physical body, this tends to be that... Um, that uh, this survival pattern or this characterology. Ideally, the physical body and the physical world feel safe enough for the baby's spirit to settle into the body and claim it. Then her spirit can use the body as a reference point, a center to return to if it gets lost or shattered. As time goes on, her physical body then develops an energetic boundary that keeps out foreign energies and increases her felt sense of safety. So in other words, here's your buffer, a boundary, right? I am here, you are there. That's important for being an adult in a, in a human body, right? In the formation of the leaving pattern, however, something in the physical world repeatedly shocks the incoming spirit so badly that its attention fragments, causing it to flee back to the spirit world to protect itself. Being shocked out of the body this way interferes with the spirit's process of orienting itself to the physical world and rooting itself in the physical body. These shocks leave the newborn baby's delicate self so vulnerable that any intense energy directed at her can cause herself to once again shatter into fragments. So anybody listening right now, does this resonate at all for you? Okay, the schizoid personality um, structure are people who tend to be highly um, creative, very spiritual, because again, you can see their defense is to go back to the spiritual world or to try to, right? And so they leave their body a lot. And so they tend to actually have these sort of tall, willowy bodies, right? Um, sometimes they can be quite sort of ethereal. They're not like, you know, like, like, like on the ground, like solid, like, yeah, like that's like this person, like tree trunks, right? They're very sort of like ethereal and wispy and um, they tend to be very intelligent, very creative, um, and again, very connected spiritually, but not very connected here on the earth. And so their default is to, um, is to, to leave the body. So, um, and so when they, when she feels overwhelmed, right, she, 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 she shatters. She goes into, into pieces, goes back into the, to the safety of the spirit realm or attempts to, right? That only works when you're a baby, by the way. Like you're leaving your body, but it's not like you're connecting with spirit when you're an adult and you're in a leaving pattern defense. That's not what this is, okay? Um, that's the core quality. As a, as a result, you're, you're, you're more spiritually open, but it's not, um, you're not, uh, it's not a good thing, right? It's done through fear and distortion, um, not through, um, uh, you know, intention and like, I want to connect with spirit more, right? 
Such repeated shattering prevents the child from ever coalescing a strong sense of self, firmly anchoring it in the body and creating a strong energetic boundary around her body that will make her less vulnerable to future shocks. This means that even as an adult, she will be easily overwhelmed. This is very typical of this, um, this character pattern. Herself will tend to fragment under pressure, which may leave her unable to function because she cannot find a center from which to operate. Most likely, she will maintain a strong connection to the spirit world, here we go, and will be highly creative, sensitive, and aware of energetic phenomena. I told you I could have written this book. This is, I haven't read this chapter yet, but um, <laughs> this, this, he's talking about the same thing that I teach. Um, but she will doubt her right to exist in the physical world and will have trouble functioning here. Okay? So that's the leaving pattern. Um <laughs> You know, all of these defense patterns are difficult. They are. They're painful. It's painful to be here incarnated as a human and almost not be able to tolerate being human, you know, which is kind of the case with the, with the schizoid, with the uh, leaving pattern, right? They can't tolerate. Well, the belief is they can't tolerate, right? This is all fixable. Every single thing I'm talking about here is fixable. This is what I help people get through. Um, but I think it's useful to see it in the way of, of being so... Um, of being so um, particular, you know, of going through each one and, and doing it clearly, looking through it clearly. All right, here's the second pattern. Merging and compensated merging. This is called the oral characterology in my uh, training. Same thing. Sometimes the, na- sometimes the names change. Here, the unfulfilled need was for nurturance. The deprivation happened during the first few years of life, usually in relation to nursing and or bottle feeding. This is the uh, example I gave you earlier. The child didn't get or couldn't take in the nourishment and soothing she needed, so she never felt full and satisfied. The tension of being hungry or otherwise upset was not fully released, so uh, so some anxiety always remained in her system. This anxiety further inhibited her ability to take in and metabolize nourishment and she got stuck in a cycle of needing, not being able to effectively receive and never getting full. This left her feeling hollow and empty inside. So this, um, the oral characterology, the the merging uh, characterology is um, as he said, based in need, and they tend to feel empty inside. So they're the people, have you ever heard the term energy vampire or vacuum cleaner eyes? Both of those things refer to people who pull with their energy, right? So they're, they're, they're sucking, they're sucking at you. And the reason they're sucking, that's the oral character, um, is because they believe that they're not enough. So they're trying to get it from you, okay? So those kinds of people... And you're like, oh man, or I'm just exhausted, energy vampire. Oh man, I'm just exhausted after hanging out with this person, right? So the reason is because, um, because they're always pulling, right? So Stacy says on, on Facebook Live, no vacuum cleaner eyes. So when, you have, when somebody has vacuum cleaner eyes, they're, they're pulling at you. It's kind of like this. I'm, I'm mirroring it on Facebook Live. And so they're just always kind of pulling. They talk a lot. Sometimes they talk in like very low voices to make you kind of like lean in. And in all these ways, they're pulling at you to try and fill themselves up to get this need met. But the problem is that the underlying need or the underlying belief is that I'm not enough. And that that doesn't change. I'm not enough. It doesn't matter how much you have or how much I, they pull from you. It's never going to be enough. You see what I mean? 
So it's constantly not enough. Back to our book. There are two ways that she can handle this situation. She can identify with the need and wait for rescue, or she can project her needs onto others and then try to fulfill their needs. The first method leads to pure to the pure merging pattern. The second to the compensated merging pattern. These are fundamentally the same survival pattern, but in the compensated merging pattern, the feelings of need and helplessness are covered over by a pretense of self-reliance and power. You'll tend to see these types of people as like, um, I was going to say empaths, but that really actually fits the next character structure better than this one. Um, People, you know, social workers, people who give themselves teachers, right? I'm just going to help you. I'm going to help you. And I just really want to, you know, what can I do? And, And there's nothing wrong with helping. But when it comes from that particular place, from a defensive place, they're actually trying to fulfill their own needs through someone else's because they're afraid to even ask to have their own needs fulfilled because they're so sure that they won't. Uh, A child in the pure merging pattern will be clingy, fragile, and need a lot of attention. There's the desire for attention, but they're always sucking at it. Uh, A child in the compensated merging pattern will act self-reliant too soon by rejecting her own needs and focusing on helping others instead. While the second child looks more functional, the compensation is only a mask covering the unfinished work of this stage of development. In both situations, she practices referencing others, but avoids referencing herself. The gift of this strategy is that she then becomes skillful at sensing the needs of others and providing what is needed, okay? So remember, all of these um, structures, all of these defensive patterns are based on um, core qualities. They're based on you, you genuinely want to help. And then as a defense, you help others, quote unquote, or you, lo- you, you lose yourself in helping others in order to avoid helping yourself or facing the reality of what's going on in your life, right? But it's based on that core desire of, um, uh, of desiring to help, right? Of kindness. Okay, here's the third strategy pattern. Survival pattern. Enduring. Now, in my work, this is called the masochistic character structure. Um, It's not masochistic in the sense of how we would normally use that word, so don't panic. Um, But it it is to sort of describe uh, this this, uh, character structure would rather hurt itself than um, hurt others. And so that's where the, the term masochistic comes from. Okay, so the enduring pattern. He calls it the enduring pattern. At around the age of two, a new need arises in the child. He is now walking and talking and grappling with the discovery that he is separate from his mother. This discovery of separateness brings with it the need for autonomy. Here's where this happens. The need to be in charge of his own body and actions. He begins to say no and to oppose attempts to control him. While this assertion of his autonomy is exactly what he needs to do to complete this developmental stage, this is also a distinctly new behavior, something a baby doesn't do. If a pattern or if a parent or caregiver cannot tolerate his budding autonomy, a conflict will arise. As the parent tries to suppress his autonomy by controlling and punishing him, he will feel humiliated and enraged. And I think that, you know, the humiliation, I think, is really about um, 
uh, you know, it's, it's such an authentic impulse. It's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to become autonomous. So to be sort of cut off at the knees at that stage of development, right? This is like the helicopter parent of like, oh no, I don't want you to go do anything on your own. Jesus, I could slap them all. If that is you and your parenting, you are damaging your child more than you realize. You need to get your own needs met from your friends and your loved ones and your adult relationships and be a parent and not fill your life you know, not use your children to fill your life because you mess up their developmental stages. They need to have autonomy. Yes, you need to be there, but if your life is about them or you're helicoptering around them because you can't tolerate the, because you, the parent, can't tolerate the idea of them getting hurt. And by the way, they might. So tolerate that idea, okay? Um, keep them safe, but, but if you're, you know, if you're obsessive about it, then you, you, you stunt growth. It's not, it's not a good thing. It's not being protective. It's being uh, obsessive and you're, you're compensating, you're, you're filling your own needs with your children. He will actively resist the parent's domination for as long as he can, but will eventually conclude that he cannot win, right? Obviously, because he's so little and you're so big and will switch to resisting passively. He will withdraw deep inside himself to protect his last shred of sovereign territory and in a last act of autonomy, turn his will against himself to suppress his own desire to act and even to express himself. He will hunker down and limit his opposition to, you can't make me, right? Because that's the only real boundary he can hold. He's a two-year-old. You can pick him up and, you know, it's like um, people do this with small dogs, right? They have these small dogs and they... um, you know, that are, they're like yapping, right? And they're yapping because they're either panicked or they're angry. They're doing their dog thing, right? And people pick them up and go, shush, shush, shush. Well, when you pick up a dog, you disempower them, right? A dog stands on four legs. He does that. This is, this is who I am. This is my being. When you pick him up, then it's a, it's like a movement of control. Um, and, and I'm not saying, you know, they, they jump on you and they, you know, are, are you, you know, however you, you have your relationship with your dog, but when they are when you do when you do it in this in a way of controlling, shush, 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 hush, because their barking is inconvenient for you, or is you know you took them somewhere you probably shouldn't have taken them, and they're acting like a dog. Then you you cut off their their autonomy, right? And so you they they become uh, ungrounded, and it makes them really even more actually more panicked. So. Um, so anyway, so the, you know, there's only so much a two-year-old can do, right? If you tell them not to be autonomous, no matter how much their natural system is telling them to be autonomous, th- they won't be, right? They can't be. You, you will win that fight. You're an adult, obviously. And so they, they, you know, he hunkers down, limits his opposition to you can't make me. This method of relating to the world is the core of the enduring survival pattern. To make this survival strategy work, a child must have the will and strength required to silently persevere, even while enduring hardship and mistreatment. He does this by sending his life energy, even his very self, down into the ground and hiding it there. The difficulty is that he gets stuck down there, unable to move and act in the world. The benefit is that people who do this survival pattern are typically more grounded than others and often have great stamina. I have friends who have this um, survival pattern and uh, they can tolerate fucking anything. It's amazing. I'm one who like um, works in the Navy and hates it and they're awful to him. I mean, not like, oh, I have an opinion and it's not respect. I mean, like awful to him and he just sits there and endures it. And at some point I sort of said to him, I was like, you know, they're your feet. You could leave. And he has all these reasons why he can't. 
So there's the distortion in the enduring, right? Okay, next uh, next um, survival pattern is called the aggressive survival pattern. Um, in my work, it was called the psychopathic. Um, but again, don't panic. You're not a psychopath. It's just psychopathic energy. It's uh, aggressive energy. So it's people who default to anger um, to solve problems, right? So the aggressive. Here, the unmet need was the, was the need to feel contained and protected by something larger and stronger. This child won the battle for autonomy and felt proud of his strength and will. But then, in what felt to him like a life-or-death situation, he discovered that what he loved and trusted was not there to protect him. So he faced his fear alone and survived by summoning all his internal resources and willing himself through it. He felt betrayed, and it was his trust in others that was shattered. The unfulfilled need was once again safety, but here the focus was on the interpersonal, emotional safety of being able to depend on others. This is resonating with people on Facebook Live, yeah? Betrayal is the key um, wounding in the aggressive character. This feeling of being failed or betrayed was uh, by what he thought was protecting him can be created in several different ways. The the sort of classic example of this one is like the Caesar, right? And Brutus. So the the betrayed by one closest to you. And, and this character, by the way, will continuously attract betrayal. So if a guy comes to me and says, I don't know why, but I, every woman I date cheats on me, then that's something that, and I don't know what my clients look like because I work online, um, but that's one of the things that I will, I will be curious about. I'll be like, okay, I wonder if there's a, a, an aggressive wounding there. Nothing wrong with that. One's not better than another, and we all have all five. So don't, don't panic, or if there's any self-flagellation um, or self-doubt or any shoulds happening in your head, just be aware of that and let those go. <clears throat> uh, in one scenario, the child simply has such a big energy that his parents are not able to energetically contain him. He wins all the battles, but discovers that he faces the world alone. Conversely, the parent may be authoritarian and dominating, but this child refuses to give in, even though he loses most of the fights. In a third scenario, one parent seduces him into a coalition against the other. This is very common for this character. In doing this, the seducing parent is ignoring the child's needs and using the child to meet his or her own needs. That's what I was talking about with the hovering or being a helicopter parent. Um, but this is in a different way. The seduction may include sexuality, but it's often purely emotional. When he realizes that his love for the parent was used to manipulate him, the child concludes that loving is dangerous and that it opens the door to being used and betrayed. He closes his heart and, the ch and unconsciously resolves, you will never do that to me again. Uh, I also learned um, that uh, when, when I studied this character structure, that um, it can also be a, a seduction, like the child, you know, the, will tend to fall in love with the parent of the opposite sex. You know, your mama's little boy, or your daddy's girl, right? And they, there's a, um, you know, at the, that age, sexuality starts very, very young, three, three and four. Kids are rubbing themselves on things, and shit feels good, man. You know, let's explore this, right? Perfectly natural, perfectly normal. Um, as they sort of develop those sexual feelings toward the parent, if the parent does not, you know, if daddy doesn't leave mommy for me, which of course doesn't happen, then that is seen as a betrayal. Does that make sense? So, so if there are romantic feelings towards daddy, 
but daddy loves mommy in the way I want to be loved, right? He loves me in a different way, but I want that. And of course, I can't really have that. Um, and of course, if he were, to, if I were to get that, that's not really what I want anyway, right? And so, um, and so, just by virtue of them continuing to be a parent and loving appropriately with the other parent, the wounding is created that way. So, these are really all about expectations, you know, sort of impossible expectations, right? I want every need to be met. I want to become autonomous perfectly. I want you to love me, you know, more than you love mom. I mean, it's like these sort of like kind of little demands um, the kids have, and when they don't get them, then the wounding happens. So that's not, you know, that's fine. We're here to be wounded. So don't be afraid of that. And please don't think that you're not going to wound your kids because you will. And that's okay. That's what they came here for. The child who develops the aggressive pattern has developed a cohesive sense of self, a strong will, and the ability to defend his own personal space, but he is always a little guarded, okay? He finds it hard to trust or depend on others or even to let them have their own space, space that he does not control. He still harbors a deep unconscious terror that he will once again be used and betrayed. Dominating every situation becomes his only way of creating a sense of safety for himself. He does, however, become skillful at making things happen in the world, and this becomes one of the gifts of the aggressive pattern. So the psychopaths, the aggressive pattern um, folks, and that's my uh, character structure as well, or or one of my two main ones, um, tends to be uh, an incredible leader. Um, They are sensitive to betrayal, yes, um, but they have very strong senses of honor. Okay, honor is a huge... um, is a, is a is a strong element there. Um, strong sense of honor. They're leaders. They have incredible clarity. Um, other, you know, the the masochistic character structure, the enduring survival pattern, um, tends to have a huge amount of unclarity around it, of lack of clarity around it. And um, the aggressive pattern has just just perfect clarity, right? Yes, they're maybe a little bit um, bullheaded, or they're a little bull in the china shop, or they're you know they're aggressive, right? That's they they fight to survive. The leaving pattern leaves to survive. So all of these, again, they are survival patterns. Um, but, um, uh, but, they, but there are incredible gifts with all of them. And we'll come back to that um, at the end here. Um, and so the aggressive um, pattern um, comes with a huge amount of clarity, uh, with clarity, um, leadership, confidence, um, honor, uh, a sense of justice, things like that. Very sensitive to injustice. And this is our very last survival pattern here, okay? And this is called the rigid, and it's also called the rigid in my work. Um, the rigid character is the last, uh, is, the, is the latest wounding developmentally, okay? And he says, and we talked a little bit about this last week, he says um, through uh, that, and, and I, I love the way that he phrased this, and this is new to me. The way that he phrases these um, survival patterns tend to be, um, he, he, he words it developmentally, right? So in other words, if you have the leaving pattern, then you're wounding, you were, you were sort of messed up at the first developmental stage. And so the rest of them tend to be um, wonky as well. But if you got through that developmental stage, okay, and you didn't get wounded until the aggressive, then you've got all of those developmental stages in place. And so they either kind of happen or they get messed up. Um, and my work didn't really focus on it that way as sort of at the developmental stage. It was taught that way, but he's got a real um, clear way of putting it. And I really appreciate that. 
Okay, here is the origin. The injury here was that the parents could not value the child's inner experience. Take a deep breath here. Feel the breath fill you. All this talk of defenses of different kinds can be triggering and they can be insightful. And I invite you to see both those things as the same. Another deep breath. And let it go. Good. The injury here with the rigid was that the parents could not value the child's inner experience. Having lost contact with their own inner life, they could not nurture their child's inner life. Instead, they focused on the child's appearance and performance on things like manners, posture, correctness, and grades. They taught her to follow the rules they followed and to obey the authority they obeyed. So uh, I go to church and church is right. And so you go to church and church is right for you. Yeah. They could love their child for her achievements and performance, but not for her feelings and beingness. Each of us needs our inner self, our being to be seen and valued. If our parents see only our appearance and performance, we tend to lose contact with our inner experience and come to believe that our surface, our performance, is all that we are. Without contact with our inner self, we are unable to find our own inner guidance. So we have to rely on an outer form of guidance to help us make decisions. A child who suffers this injury becomes focused on the forms and rules of life and loses touch with life's essence and substance. She tends to experience the world indirectly through words rather than directly through sensations and feelings. Rules replace personal feelings in her decision-making process. She may use language well and become a terrific performer, but for her, doing has replaced being, and the map has replaced the territory. In new situations, her plea will be, tell me the rules, because without the rules, she has no way to navigate. When, an- when extra energy hits her system, she will attempt to contain it so that it doesn't really affect her and interfere with her performance. Instead of allowing it to emotionally move her, she will shunt the energy into activity. She will get busy and do something. While people who go into this survival pattern may not have much feeling, creativity, or color in their lives, they are often very successful on the outside, living in model homes with perfect lawns. So, the rigid character as he said, does tend to be quite successful. They also are incredibly passionate, actually, once they are able to connect with themselves. They're just disconnected from their core. They tend to be very beautiful, very well put together. Uh, nails are often done. Outfits match. Hair is, hair is good. Makeup's always on. Won't leave the house without makeup. That kind of person. Um, often, even though they can be very successful, they will tend to not be happy right? It's the type of complaint of, um, I have everything I want and I'm still not happy, right? I have people come to me for that. They go, I don't know what the problem is. Everything's great. I have everything I said that I wanted and yet I I feel empty inside. As soon as someone says that to me, I know that they have the rigid defense because that's the only one where you can't feel, right? 
Uh, that's not true. The schizoid will have moments where you can't feel. I mean, they'll all have moments where you can't feel, but um, the, the schizoid and the rigid in particular, that is the essence of it. The schizoid um, can't, or excuse me, the leaving pattern can't feel because they're out of their body, which they did to avoid feeling, which happens in the body. Feeling happens in the body. Yeah. Um, so if you leave your body, which by the way is the purpose of defense, you don't uh, feel you don't feel as much, right? We leave, whether that's leaving or enduring or forcing out aggressively or cutting off inside, we do those things to avoid feeling because in the moment, feeling hurts, right? So what's the first thing that happens when you experience uh, feeling or the, that, that, that feels overwhelming or it feels too much? First thing that usually cuts off is your breathing, right? You'll stop breathing. I mean, you won't literally stop breathing, but you'll cut it to be very, very, very shallow. Because, <laughs> notice I had to take a breath there because my breath got shallow just as I was talking about that. Um, because when you breathe less, you feel less, right? You're in your body less. You're not as much here in the moment. And so when, um, when you go to say a yoga class, right? The first thing they do is say, okay, bring your awareness to your breath. Take a deep breath. Right? And when you do that, you start to come into your body. You feel a little bit safer. You feel a little bit more present. You feel a little bit more here. All of those things go with safety, by the way. And you're able to connect more with yourself in the moment. What am I feeling here in the moment? And if you can allow yourself to feel safe enough, that is the question to ask. What's here now? Who am I right in this moment? What, what's happening? What's here now? Right? And look, look in your body. Where's your breathing? How far down your body does... Um, how far down your body does your breath come on its own if you don't change it? Does it come all the way to your chest? Does it come to your belly? Does it come to your lower belly? Does it come to your pelvis? Down into your legs, knees, calves, ankles, feet, into the ground beneath you? And one way is not better than the other, right? Deep breath isn't better than not deep breath. The, the goal here and always through all of these survival patterns, through learning this particular way of being, through learning who you are, the purpose is to, be, to become aware. That's it. That's it. So it doesn't matter. That's why I don't tell people how to be. I don't care how you are. You can be however you want to be. What matters to me, if I can be said to have an agenda, which I don't really, because that would set me up for expectation and then, you know, being potentially being let down, right? And it puts pressure on my clients, which is not my intention. And so instead, I'm able to hold a space for whatever is here. Whatever is here is okay with me. That's the space that I hold. And in doing that, it creates a safe space for you to see what's really going on in your system right? It creates a, a safe place for you to be here in the here and now. And 
the only way to do that is to remove the agenda, is to create that safe space. It doesn't matter whether your deep, your breath is deep or it's not. It's just interesting. What matters is whether or not you know, whether or not you notice, right? I want you to be off of autopilot, okay? These character structures, these show you how you defend yourself, how you hold yourself back from what you want, right? Because the fact of the matter is all of these that I just read to you are based on fallacy. They're based on misconceptions from childhood, right? And um, about, you know, I, I can't handle it. Life isn't safe. Well, it's not safe. Your mother just had a, it's not that life isn't safe. It's that your mother had a difficult pregnancy. It's not that your needs will never be met. It's just that she couldn't get the bottle to you in enough time, enough times. You were never in danger. It's not that, um, you know, there's anything wrong with who you are at your core and your and to express that would 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 induce anger it's just that your mother was afraid and unwilling to uh to let you go because she either wanted you to stay for her own sake or she um you know worried about your safety right it's not that um let's see for the aggressive pattern it's not that you need to guard and protect yourself because if you allow yourself to be vulnerable, you'll be hurt. It's just that, you know, someone made a mistake or someone betrayed you and that kind of thing happens, but it doesn't happen all the time. It doesn't need to be always, right? You don't need to count on it. You don't need to defend against it. You can just allow it to be. And uh, with the rigid, it's not that there's anything wrong with, your, with you at your core. It's not that um, the only way you can get um, love and appreciation is by doing wonderful things. It's just that your parents had their limitations and they were maybe disconnected from their own core. And so they weren't comfortable seeing you in yours. So all of these five character structures are based on fallacy, right? They're based on... you on on what you you thought was true and when you're very very young children generalize their life experience right you can see here one betrayal when you're young and you have a lifetime of guarding yourself you don't need to guard yourself everywhere in life because you had some bad experiences i'm gonna tell you something bad experiences are guaranteed right life is what it is there's pain in life it's inevitable might as well settle in Instead of trying to avoid it, which is by definition impossible, try to practice getting through it better and better. Master that skill. And then no matter what life throws at you, it will, uh, it'll be something you can handle. In fact, the ideal is to get to the point where you start looking forward to that. When you start seeing it as a challenge, oh man, you know, when you start seeing uh, discomfort, when you start moving toward discomfort, that is when you're really at the next level because you start going, oh man, what can I learn from this? Boy, this is tough and it's painful. I can't wait to see how strong I'm going to be when I get through this. The only people that died younger from stress are the ones that thought that stress was bad for you. Look up this TED Talk if you can. It's absolutely fucking fantastic. 
Think about that. You know, it's amazing that people can look at research like this and still say that we don't create our own reality. That is so profoundly based in denial that it, it, it blows my mind. The, the, the statistics are right in front of us, right? So I hope that helped. I hope that gave you um, uh, an idea. I hope that you resonated with one character structure or another. If you'd like to share on my Facebook page um, or, uh, or anywhere that you like, in um, you know which one you you resonated with and which one you thought was yours and why I would love to hear it. Um, please don't hesitate to share and, and reach out to me on my business page or on my personal Facebook page. Um, again, I'm on Insight Timer. I'm doing meditations and daily studies for you to be able to practice these things in a more real and um, and regular way. So please look me up there. Uh, This has been The Art of Attraction. Don't forget to download and subscribe and tell anyone that you think would would, uh, get benefit out of this work. It's really my intention to help as many people as possible. My name is Dominique Drew. If you're interested in working with me, please come by my website, dominiedrew.com. I would love to hear from you. And thank you so much. Love you guys. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining me for this episode of The Art of Attraction. This is Domini Drew signing off and reminding you that if you love this podcast, please hit that subscribe button, rate us five stars, and most importantly, share this episode with someone you know needs to hear it. See you next time.